It's our second season, and we're starting off like a pro. A OnePlus 9 Pro, to be exact. And I've been using OnePlus's flagship for about a month now, and it's time to give it some words. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Welcome to the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and I spent the last month trying to think of some profound words to say upon my triumphant return, and all I came up with is, hey, it's June. So I probably shouldn't say those. A quick update. I did not, in fact, screw up that new job of mine, so that's fun. I'm growing into the role, but, yeah, it's slow going. The folks at LifeWire are awesome peeps, though. And uh, now that you add on Android Central and Digital Trends, well... I'm kind of busy, and now I have a podcast to do, too, so woohoo! I gotta be honest, not having to do a podcast was nice. I actually had, uh, what are those things called then? Uh, oh, right, weekends. I had weekends again. It was kind of cool. I love my work here on the podcast, though, so no worries. We're sticking around. But the past month has been eye-opening, so going forward, just as a heads up, we're going to do seasons for this podcast. As I mentioned, this is season two. Every summer, I'll be taking a couple weeks to a month off, and that will mark the beginning of a new season. It'll probably be in July, but... Not this July, because I already took my break this year. Uh, The last two weeks of the year are also going to be a break for the podcast, because I've got holidays and a birthday in the last week, and... It's just not tenable. But I'll still be doing the monthly slash yearly recap on my birthday because it's my birthday and I get to do what I want on my birthday and I want to do this. And I'll be drinking, so that'll be fun. Anyway, so that's podcast news. Now let's get on with the show. I've got my full review of the OnePlus 9 Pro generously loaned to me by Android Central. That'll be coming up, but first we have to get to the news of the week. June 1st saw the end of free Google Photo storage for everyone except original Pixel owners. More on that in a moment. But Google announced last November that free high-quality uploads long offered on the service will be ending. From now on, any photos you upload, regardless of quality, will be counted against your data on Google Drive. It sucks, but to be honest, with as many Android users that are out there, it's hard to see how that service could continue offering free photo storage indefinitely. Some alternatives out there include setting up your own cloud, Amazon free photo backups for Prime members, and OneDrive's automatic upload service, which also counts towards your OneDrive data, so it's not really much better. Personally, I'll continue using Google Photos because A, all of my photos are there already, and B, it's frankly worth the service. Amazon just gives you backups, and with as often as I switch phones, I can't keep multiple sync services going. Google Photos is awesome, so I'm sticking with it. And by the way, I did mention original Pixel owners there. Well, it turns out, once upon a time, Google promised free unlimited uploads for life, and Google is honoring that promise as long as you upload photos from your original Pixel device. So it's possible to continue to have free unlimited uploads, yes, but is it worth the headache? Not even a little bit. Speaking of Google and scanning every photo you upload, Google went out of its way to tell you how concerned they were about your privacy at Google I.O. last month. Well, court documents reveal that Google's concern about your privacy is... 
Well, let's just say it's a recent thing. According to court documents, Google intentionally hid privacy settings under a few layers of menus, including removing the location toggle from quick settings of Pixel phones. Basically, the toggle would make it easier for users to disallow any app from using location services. But more importantly, various Googlers came forward complaining to Google that it was basically impossible for a user to get their location without also telling it to Google. That's kind of a problem for people who, you know, don't want to get lost, but also don't want ads. Well, let's see. Do you want to find gas before you run out, or would you rather not have McDonald's ads when you drive by one every six minutes? Yeah, thought so. The gas station is just four blocks ahead, sucker. That also extends to users giving an app like Target their location without also giving it to Google. Basically, Google all like... If I ain't knowing where you are, ain't no one knowing where you are. And these are very fair complaints. I personally don't care if Google knows where I am, but you might, and Google doesn't care at all. Happy news happened this past week. The Perseverance rover spent its 100th day on Mars, and that's Martian days, by the way, so it's an even weirder milestone. Just to recap, the rover first touched down on the 18th of February, and since then, it's deployed Ingenuity, the helicopter which has had seven flights so far, the last of which did not go well. Both autonomous vehicles have photographed each other, which is one of the most nerdy family albums in history. Meanwhile, Perseverance has been collecting samples and leaving them behind for another mission to come and collect, and the Moxie Pack has made a few grams of oxygen, most of which we've discussed on previous editions of the show. The BBC has a neat little pictorial history of the rover on its site, showing some of the coolest photos taken from the Red Planet, and just the fact that we're looking at photos taken from Mars? Come on, people, it's awesome! So go check those out and see what good autonomous tech looks like before we turn into what really bad autonomous tech looks like in our next story. Science fiction is filled with tales of killer robots going after people and wiping them out, but that's just science fiction, right? Well, it turns out, no, they're not science fiction. A report out of the United Nations shows that the country of Turkey deployed an ATM Cargo 2 drone, which is exactly what we've been talking about. It's an autonomous attack drone. Its method of attack? Oh, just dive bombing at a target and blowing itself up at short range with shrapnel penetrating straight forward. You know, all around fun. So I guess the good news is that they can only attack once? Um, according to this report, the drone was deployed by Turkey, and this is a quote, by the way, quote, Logistics convoys and retreating forces were hunted down and remotely engaged by lethal autonomous weapon systems such as the STM Cargo 2. And why the hell do we make these things? There's like a company, or even more likely several companies, actively making these things, and yet my hope for humanity just sank a little bit lower, and... Spoiler alert, it was already pretty low. According to the UN, this is thought to be the first autonomous drone attack, and folks, I'm sorry to say, it probably will not be the last. And speaking of things that shouldn't exist blowing themselves up, our former president's blog, <clears throat> I mean, brand new social platform, is officially dead after just 29 days, reportedly due to poor readership. The blog, which was initially heralded as a brand new social network and a beacon of freedom, turned out to be, 
you know, a blog. Advisors suggested that blog posts would be super shareable and are really popular on the social networks where many of his followers still reside, but no, because those same social networks that sent the former president packing also prohibited the sharing of his blog posts. So yeah, that kind of hurts traffic a little bit. I don't know why his followers didn't figure out how to share screenshots of the blog to circumvent those rules, but I guess, how smart do you want them to be? They voted for Donald Trump. Anyway, impressively, the blog lasted even less time than WebOS hardware under HP, which is an incredible lack of wherewithal. But I guess the blog did last approximately 28 and a half days longer than the former president lasted as something resembling a president. So, it's got that going for it. Reportedly, there still may be some kind of social network in the works. We'll see, and if it becomes a thing, I might mention it, if only to mock it. Because that's how this podcast rolls. Earlier, we talked about HBO Max and its ad-supported tier of content coming soon. Well, it turns out coming soon means coming now. It turns out ads will save you $5 per month as the new tier will cost $9.99 per month. That's a 33% difference, which is very not bad. The caveat here is that you'll have to watch ads, your streams will be limited to 1080p, and you won't be able to download content for offline viewing. Another big downer is that films that premiere in theaters and and HBO Max will not be available to folks on the ad-supported tier. That's a lot of negatives. Warner Media said that ads will be limited to just four minutes of every hour, which is among the lowest on ad-supported streaming services, so that's good news. But given all the other compromises, I'll probably be sticking with the premium tier at least until mid-August when Suicide Squad comes out. Then I'll reevaluate. Oh, and speaking of HBO Max, I've started watching Game of Thrones, and I'm halfway through Season 3, and I gotta say... I don't really get the hype. It's honestly more people talking about going to war than, you know, actually fighting or going to war. Whatever, I guess I'll stick it out. At least the dragons are cool. This next story is a twofer. This week saw the release of the Huawei iPad, <clears throat> I mean the Huawei MatePad Pro, which is a pretty massive 12.6-inch tablet running Harmony OS, which seems to be a very lightly skinned version of AOSP Android 10 that's made up to look like iPad OS. Confused yet? Okay, we're going to keep going. This isn't particularly new and exciting, except that it's the first tablet running Harmony OS, which is kind of a big deal. Android Authority takes a close look at side-by-side -side screenshots of Harmony OS and EMUI, and not surprisingly, they're remarkably similar. Meanwhile, over on Android Central, Alex Dobie has a review of the Huawei Watch, Huawei's first wearable running Harmony OS. Alex has a lot to say about the Huawei Watch, and I encourage you to go check it out. The watch has a great design and a smooth and responsive UI and a multi-day battery life, but there are some bugs and there aren't a ton of free watch faces right out of the gate. It's not surprising, so we'll have to see how that ecosystem evolves. Personally, I'm far, far more interested in future wear watches coming from the Google Samsung collaboration. Lyft will soon begin rolling out its new e-bike offerings to various cities in the U.S., including New York, Chicago, and San Francisco. As a matter of fact, folks in San Fran can start beta testing these bikes as early as next week. 
Wired got a chance to test them out and found out that the bikes are pretty much effortless, literally. These bikes are pedal-assisted bikes, which basically means they use as a motor to help you pedal, not pedal for you. Typically, pedal assistance requires settings of how much assistance you want, while Lyft's e-bike just offers what Julian Chocacci describes as the perfect amount. Never too much, never too little. Now, what's cool about these is they could help people get out of their cars and onto bikes for more last-mile transportation. That's good for the environment and good for traffic congestion and good for people's health. Will this be the ultimate answer? No, almost certainly not, but it is a cool answer, and frankly, I want to go try one out, and I'm not saying that just because when you listen to this, I will have hopefully just finished a 40-mile bike ride myself. And finally, and I'm sorry for the shortened news segment, but it was a short week and it's my first week back and I'm still relearning how to do this. But anyway, Twitter reopened verification applications a few weeks ago and then it paused them while I got caught up and then reopened them again at the end of this week. And here's a little fun fact. I'm verified now. I still have no idea how. I mean, I applied and I fulfilled the criteria set forth for journalists, which means that I submitted a few articles that I wrote with my byline and I submitted my profile pages, which referenced my Twitter account. And just like that, bam! blue check. But what's funny about this is earlier this week, Jason Howell from All About Android posted a screenshot of his rejection and he was like, oh well. So I replied to that like, well, there goes my chances. But sure enough, the other morning I got the notification. And as a matter of fact, since that happened, I haven't hit any red lights. And when I went to the grocery store, I was able to walk right up to the register. It seems being verified is a pretty sweet deal. Like, sorry, honey, I can't take out the garbage. I'm verified. Anyway, if you want to get verified, applications are open again. And if Jason Howell is any consideration, they set a pretty high bar. But then again, if I'm any consideration, Twitter sets a very, very low bar. OnePlus and I have a complicated history. On the one hand, I love what OnePlus started out as, the plucky little flagship killer. Amazingly cheap phones for flagship specifications, except for the camera. Then OnePlus morphed into a true flagship company, still boasting powerful specs, but now with a price tag that matches their power except for the camera. I get that, and I respect that. It was simply time for OnePlus to sit at the big boy's table. Nothing wrong with that. OnePlus developed a relationship with T-Mobile. I love that. It brought a certain amount of legitimacy to the company and made it a recognizable brand in the U.S. In fact, I was so impressed with OnePlus coming to T-Mobile that I bought the OnePlus 6T when it launched on T-Mobile. But the thing is, throughout the years, one thing that has really not changed about OnePlus is kind of a bad camera. The camera has never been particularly bad, but it's never been particularly good either. So this year, when OnePlus started incessantly bragging about its relationship with Hasselblad, I was skeptical. So how did that skepticism turn out? You'll find out now in my full review of the OnePlus 9 Pro. But 
before we get started, I need to give a hearty shout out to Android Central who took pity on me, a lowly freelancer, and sent over their review unit of the OnePlus 9 Pro for me to play with. So right off the bat, thank you to Daniel Bader, friend of the show, and thank you to Android Central, and you should go there and click on all their links because they're awesome. So let's take a tour around the OnePlus 9 Pro, shall we? Starting off, you've got a 6.7-inch QHD screen on the front, which dominates the entire front of the phone. Around the sides, you have a silent switch and a power button on the right, volume rocker on the left, and a single, very loud, downward-facing speaker on the bottom next to the USB Type-C jack. The display has a single 16-megapixel selfie camera peeking out from a punch hole in the top left corner. On the back is a shiny, impossible-to-keep-clean Gorilla Glass backplate and a humongous camera bump, which, to be fair, is neither larger nor deeper than that of the Samsung Galaxy S21 Ultra. While I like how Samsung designed the camera bump to be kind of modeled into the side rails of the phone, OnePlus has looked like it's just kind of stuck on the back of the phone, which is not a bad look. It's a rounded rectangle with two camera lenses that look gargantuan compared to the rest of the bump, but in reality, again, are no bigger than those on the S21. There are two smaller camera lenses on the bottom. Those are the telephoto and the monochrome sensor, respectively. Strangely enough, and I discovered this late in the review process, but that telephoto lens is interesting in how it works. When you're taking macro shots and you switch to a 3.3x zoom, you're actually using the main sensor with a digital or hybrid crop, however OnePlus is doing that. When you're shooting landscapes and things are at a distance, that's when the 8 megapixel 3.3 actually kicks in. Now, I'm not sure if it has to do with lighting or proximity or something else. I'd ask OnePlus, but they don't return my calls, so I guess I'm just going to shrug and move on. Now, the one thing about the hardware that I need to talk about is the 120Hz refresh rate. The OnePlus 9 Pro is the first phone that I have used with a 120Hz refresh rate that actually seems to make a difference. Like, I noticed a difference in how smooth things were this time around. After using the Sony Xperia 5 Mark II and the Samsung Galaxy S21 Ultra, I never saw it. On the OnePlus, I saw it. I still don't care, and not having it will not ruin a phone for me, but I get why you folks like it, and I'm going to stop dissing it as much. Well, no, actually, I'm not going to stop dissing it. It's overrated. But at least now that I've finally seen it, and it took a OnePlus phone to show it to me, go figure. And good on you, OnePlus. Getting back to the hardware, we continue to talk about the screen. It's very crisp, very clear. I enjoy using it. It's plenty bright in bright sunlight. Details are sharp. Contrast is great. Viewing angles are awesome. This is as fine a display as you're going to find on a phone today. But it is a curved display with a 2.5D curve on all sides, and goddamn does that thing phantom touch like a mother. It's maddening how often I would be playing a game and my fat thumb would brush the upper corner and boop, I'm sorry, did you not want to lose that game? Because you just lost this game, dickhead. I actually had to stop gaming on the OnePlus 9 Pro because of this issue, and frankly, it bothered me more than a lot, as you can probably tell by my voice. Now, full disclosure, I'm a fat dude, and I have a lot of extra finger meat, but I'm also an American, and according to the CDC, I am not alone here. OnePlus, hire some fat people to test your phones, okay? 
Now, I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention the Silent Slider at least once, since it is a WebOS legacy feature and people love it. I personally don't use it, because more often than not, I forget to turn it back on. But if you like that sort of thing, the OnePlus 9 Pro is one of a very few phones that actually has it. And yes, it is a WebOS legacy item, but honestly, OnePlus probably only put it in there because the iPhone. C'est la vie. Moving on to software, it's OnePlus's skin, which is roundly praised as one of the nicest Android skins out there. It certainly is very clean and very customizable. I'm not the best person to talk about this, though, because I've never been one to micromanage my phone. I still use default ringtones, for God's sakes. You can certainly find the Samsung One UI roots in part of a software design, and that's not a bad thing. One UI and Oxygen OS center around usability, specifically one-handed usability, and it puts larger labels on top with the actual things that you interact with down at the bottom. OnePlus also has a Zen mode, which basically shuts your phone's notifications down for 20 minutes. I guess that's nice. I'm not very Zen, though, so... Whatever. OnePlus prides itself on having a near-stock Android experience, and this generation also switches over to Google's default dialer and messaging app. The Google feed is now located on the left where it should be. The shelf does still exist for some damn reason, but now to access it, you need to swipe down anywhere on the screen except for the very top because that still opens notifications and quick settings. Fortunately, you can also configure the shelf swipe to also access notifications and do away with the shelf entirely. So that's nice. Overall, I can honestly say I enjoy the software on the OnePlus phones because it's very googly and it doesn't get in the way of just using the phone. Plus, there are a ton of extra things that you can do to customize your experience if you're into that. It's very Android, which is good because you know it's an Android phone. So with that, let's move on to the camera. Okay, so let's talk about the camera on the OnePlus 9 Pro, and we're gonna start with the hardware. On the front, there's a single 16 megapixel shooter in a punch hole. On the back, you've got a quad camera setup on three and a half, but there's a 48 megapixel main camera, a 50 megapixel ultra wide sensor, an eight megapixel telephoto sensor at 3.3x zoom, and a two megapixel monochrome sensor. So, you know, three and a half. And before we talk about how those cameras perform, let's talk a little history here. OnePlus has something of a reputation for less than stellar cameras. I mean, OnePlus has repeatedly shown us that they're great, but then reviewers get their hands on them and well, you know, not great. So this year, OnePlus got really serious about trying to convince you that their cameras were great by partnering with Hasselblad. Hasselblad, aside from sounding like David Hasselhoff's vampire cosplay name, is also a camera company with roots set back into the 1800s. But Hasselblad was also known as the camera developer who designed and built the cameras that went on the first moon missions, which is kind of a big deal. So now we could talk about Hasselblad's most recent adventures into the smartphone space, but we won't because they didn't go well. But this latest iteration had to have gone better, right? Well, 
Starting off in broad daylight, the cameras perform quite well, but color accuracy between the three lenses is actually very off. The photos get lighter the closer you zoom into your subject, going from ultra-wide to the main 1x sensor to the 3.3x zoom. It doesn't matter if you're shooting in broad daylight or in the evening, the ultra-wide is noticeably darker than the made sensor, and the 3x sensor produces more washed-out colors. Now, you have to really pixel peep in order to see this, but it's pretty darn there, and yes, this is nitpicky, but when you're evaluating a camera in literally the best circumstances possible, you're allowed to focus on the details, no pun intended. Sometimes colors can get washed out and lose a lot of detail, like in this shot of red flowers that I grabbed. I'm not sure what really happened, but all three lenses captured a ton of detail in everything else except for those red flowers. On a macro shot of a red flower I took later, detail was great, so I guess just go figure. In general, macro shots are great with natural bokeh in the background and crisp detail. As for portrait mode, this is one of the better portrait modes I've seen. The cameras don't get tripped up by hairlines or in the space where my arm is raised next to my head, and the only time it got a little tripped up was with my dog and her whiskers, and even that, it handled pretty well. Dogs, you know, are longer creatures, and they tend to stick back farther than humans, so you're going to have to blur parts of their bodies, and overall, I'm very satisfied with portrait mode and what it does on this phone. Same goes for action shots, of course, shot in burst mode. I've said it before and I'll say it again, you can't expect good action shots with auto settings, so burst mode it is, and here, the OnePlus does a really good job capturing detail, like flowing hair even in the middle of a trampoline flip. As for zoom, let's take 10 seconds here to talk about zoom beyond the 3.3x telephoto zoom. Don't do it. There. I think we've said enough. When the lights go down, the camera is still fairly decent. At least as decent as a camera can be in low light. You get some decent shots with all three lenses. I'd probably stick to the main sensor if at all possible. You're going to get a lot of motion blur from anything even slightly moving, but your photos will be social media good at least. When your subjects are still, yeah, you're going to be pretty solid. When there are bright lights along with the darkness, things get a little more dicey. Again, stick to the main sensor here for the most consistent results, but in general, light sources don't get washed out or streaky, at least no more than any other camera. You definitely get some grain in the night sky, but overall, in terms of low light performance, I'd say this is right on par with what you're going to get from the iPhone or the Galaxy S21, and those are high marks in my world. The OnePlus 9 Pro also includes a mode called Tilt Shift, which I'll be honest, I kind of forgot about for a while, then I had to look it up to remind myself what it actually was. Basically, the phone will blur the top and the bottom of the frame to make things look like miniatures. Somehow. Now, the ideal way to shoot stuff like this is from high above and shooting down. Unfortunately, I live in one of the flattest states in the Union and my helicopter is in the shop, but I did climb up on my roof and try to shoot some of the houses around me. I don't see the effect, but maybe you do. As for video, it's also very solid, except for one category, which we'll talk about in a minute. But as for shooting, walking, and panning on the main sensor, it's a little bouncy, but colors are good, and the detail is good. On the selfie camera when walking, just like on Samsung, it looks like your camera's kind of on a track. It's, it's really good. What's not really good is at night, and yeah, 
that's normal, but I ran into a different difficulty than usual before. Usually it's grainy and light sources get blown out, but the main problem this phone has is when you have a temerity to move this phone while shooting at night. If you're shooting steady footage, you might actually get some decent stuff. It won't be good good for sure, but it's a phone and it's at night. But if the phone moves, focus just loses its mind and goes all over the place. This includes walking, panning, sometimes just the act of shifting your grip will cause things to go wonky before settling down. Now, finally, we get to super slow-mo, and these videos are pretty good. I love capturing really fast things moving really slowly, and I don't know why, but it's an obsession of mine, and I'm happy to say... OnePlus 9 does a good job with these. Then there's my other newfound video obsession, Hyperlapse. Again, I'm not sure why, but I dig shooting really slow things faster. There might be a psychological issue here, but frankly, I'm okay with that. Overall, the cameras on the OnePlus 9 are really good. These days, in a world where periscope lenses exist, I'm going to look down on any phone without one, and the OnePlus 9 Pro does not have one. I love Zoom. I'm sorry. Not sorry. But aside from not having a periscope lens, everything else with this camera is on par or better than what you'll get with any other smartphone, and that's a solid bonus. It's like OnePlus finally caught up with 2019 camera technology, which is better than it has been. Now it just needs to implement tech from the last two years, which honestly should be easier. Is this the best camera phone you can buy? No. But it's damn good, and you should be proud of it if you bought one. OnePlus made up a lot of ground this year, and it'll be exciting to see what it does next to up its game even further. On the performance and battery life end, it should come as no surprise that this phone is pretty great. This phone lasts through tasks without breaking a sweat. I still have not built the 4K export test that I want to build to push phones to their limits, but I saw no stutter nor lag on opening apps or gaming. So I hope you're into anecdotal evidence because we're full of that here on the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. I promise I will build that test someday. As for benchmarks, Geekbench clocks this phone's single-core score at 1052 and multi-core score at 2986. The single-core score is pretty much tops of any other phone, which is awesome. The multi-core score is still pretty great, putting it around the Samsung Galaxy S20. Maybe my phone was just having a bad day that day. Battery life never disappointed me, though now that I'm working every day from 9 to 5, I often have my phone on a wireless charging stand, but even when I don't, this phone easily made it through a day. A heavy gaming day would strain the battery a little bit, but the OnePlus phone has crazy fast charging. Oh yeah, now it's time to talk about warp charging. You get 65 watts of warp charging with a wire and 50 watts of wireless charging when you're doing, you know, wireless charging. Jesus, people, that's fast. You get a 75% charge after approximately 19 minutes and a full charge in just under 30. 30 minutes from zero until full. I didn't get a time on the wireless charging, but it's damn fast as well. It's true, you need to use the OnePlus brick that comes in the box to get these speeds, both wired and wireless, but that's just sick. And by the way, the charger comes in the box. I wonder about long-term battery durability, to be frank, but if you're in a pinch, warp charging will get you there. So where does that leave us? Well... 
it's in an awkward position because OnePlus's thing used to be, hey, we're a good phone, but we're stupid cheap. Then they migrated over to, hey, we're a really great phone with a decent camera. And then they tried this Hasselblad thing and they said, hey, we finally solved that camera problem. And you know what? All that's great. The camera is good. You can do a lot worse than the camera with this phone. But OnePlus's big problem right now is they don't really have a thing. I mean, when you think about it, iPhone has... Well, okay, it's iOS, and it has an ecosystem around it. Samsung has cameras and stupid awesome zoom. Huawei has amazing cameras, and you can't really use it beyond the cameras. Even LG, poor LG, had their dual-screen phones. The OnePlus 9 Pro is a really nice phone, but there's nothing particularly outstanding about it. It doesn't really have a thing. I mean, I guess it's not 100% true, because it does have super-fast battery charging, which is nice, but... How much of a thing is that? I don't dislike this phone, but to me, there's no real selling point that I can point to and say this is demonstrably better than everything else in the field. Except for charging? Like, this phone charges really fast? Oh, cool. Charging. Neat. So, as a company, I love what OnePlus is doing. They're sitting down at the big boys table and they're making phones that the rest of the field has to pay attention to. That is a major thing. They're forcing their way into U.S. carriers, which is a very big deal. They're making all the right moves that you have to make to go from being a plucky little startup to a full-fledged smartphone manufacturer. I love that about them. But their phones still do very little to excite me. If you came at me at a party and asked me, should you buy an iPhone or a Samsung phone or even a Xiaomi phone, I can point to the one thing in my sales pitch with Circle Around. With OnePlus, I'll tell you, yeah, it's a great phone. It's nice and fast. There's nothing wrong with the OnePlus 9 Pro, except there's, there's nothing amazing about it. It's a great phone, but you know what? There's a lot of great phones out there, and being a great phone is not necessarily enough. I'm not sure what OnePlus can make its thing, but it definitely needs to figure out what its niche is, because it's not a flagship killer anymore. It's a flagship, and I bet there are other phones out there just waiting to kill it. And while I would appreciate that irony, I certainly don't want to see that happen. So that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Welcome back to season two. I would like to very much thank Android Central for lending me their OnePlus 9 Pro to review. And I would like to not thank OnePlus for not sending me a OnePlus 9 Pro to review. I'd like to thank Cliff Thomas for all of his work behind the scenes. But most of all, and as always, I would like to thank you for listening and for giving me the benefit of the doubt. <laughs>